Welcome to Make It Happen, a podcast for big-hearted creatives who are aching to build impactful, fulfilling and sustainable creative lives on their own terms or by their own rules every step of the way. I'm Jen Carrington, a creative coach based in the UK and you are listening to episode 8 of season 6. This season of Make It Happen has been so much fun to bring to life and for the last episode of this season I am joined by Laura Jane Williams, the author of Becoming an Ice Cream for Breakfast, a columnist, writing teacher and one of my favourite humans to follow on the internet too. We dive into what it looks like to be a storyteller not a writer, her own writing process, taking control of your creative career by thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur and so much more. I loved recording this episode with Laura and I hope you enjoy it too. More than anything, I really hope you've enjoyed this season of the show and look out in June for the next season as I'm working on something that I am very excited to share with you soon. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi Laura, welcome to the show. Hi Jen, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I have been reading your blog for many years. I read Becoming as soon as I remember. I don't know if many people t- had a similar experience. I remember going to Waterstones and buying Becoming because, and I went to the till and the guy looked at the front cover, you know the bit where it's like sex and second chances. Yeah. And he raised his eyebrow at me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, just put it through the till, baby. Yeah. It's quality content. <laughs> And I walked out like so proud of myself. And then I felt very lucky because ice cream for breakfast when it came out last year, I was going to on holiday and I was at the airport and it wasn't due out till the following week, but it was in Waterstones for some reason, like a little early. That was really, because that second book happened so quick. So I don't think even I had like seen a proper copy of it. And then people were saying, oh my God, I'm at Heathrow. Or, oh my God, I'm, I'm at Manchester Airport and they've got ice cream. And I was like, what? Like, it's amazing that it's on sale, but also I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> that would scare, That would be like you having a photo shoot and like the whole world seeing it before you seeing it. Like I would feel so bad, the whole world having like my work before I got to see it. Yeah, a bit like that, yeah. And, you know, I don't know how much this is accepted truth in the world, but it is it is truth it is fact authors are batshit crazy (laughs) it is like your baby out there in the world so it was this real thing of like don't tell me you can see it at terminal (laughs) three absolutely batshit but to be in wh smith travel was like a real coup so yeah a lot of conflicting feelings about that to be honest i'm not a very happy flyer so you kept me company on an unenjoyable plane ride so thank you for that Oh, thank you for saying so. <laughs> so you talk a lot about being a storyteller, not a writer. I know you have a course called that and it's kind of, it sounds like that's kind of your writing philosophy. And I would love to know just a little more about your thoughts and perspective when it comes to being a storyteller, not a writer. Like for anyone listening who is a writer or wants to start writing stories that people really want to read, what would be, yeah, what's your perspective on that? I think we can get bogged down in writing and I think it's one of those things isn't it whenever I tell somebody I'm an author and I have these books inevitably the other person says oh I want to write a book (laughs) which is fine I believe there is indeed a book in all of us I would never say that somebody was not allowed to think that about themselves but what is interesting is I think because by by definition, we can all write, we can all put pen to paper or finger to computer. So yes, it's true, we can all write, we are all taught to write. And I think that's why it feels accessible to people who have perhaps written nothing longer than an email their entire adult lives. We can all write. However, 
books and columns and Instagram captions, engaging tweets. You don't simply write. You have to tell a story. And that, for me, is where the craft of writing, where you kind of transcend the basics of pen to paper and actually make a world come alive, that is to tell a story. And so that's very much what I try and focus my own narrative on when I'm talking about writing, when I'm teaching writing, is this isn't actually about writing. This is about storytelling. And, you know, why we can all poo-poo, for example, the Twilight series or the Fifty Shades of Grey series or, um, but, you know, but they are great stories in that you want to know what happens next. That was always my sticking point at university. Yes, it's brilliant to know how to craft the best sentence in the history of sentences, but fuck, it's boring. You know, I just want to write a sentence that makes somebody want to read on to the next sentence. And that's storytelling. Yeah, it's like a more, it actually feels more accessible as a writer to hear that. It's like, oh, it's, it, it doesn't matter if I get, if I don't have the most like beautiful Tolstoy-esque <laughs> sentences. The job is to tell a story. I could edit later. Yeah, and I, I think there's a definite balance between the two. You can't tell a story if it's unreadable because then it's an inaccessible story. Women in particular, we are inherently storytellers. You know, I can't tell you about going down to the shop without it becoming this big anecdote of what I thought and what I felt and who I spoke to and how they didn't have the right biscuits. So yeah. yeah, story, 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 story. You have this wonderful way on your Instagram of like, you you can just tell the most the most everyday story, but I'm never like, why the hell is she telling me this? It's always well, interesting. Thanks. You're working on a TV show, is it right now? Is it fiction? Yes. So we have a TV show in development and I'm tentatively working on book three. Yes. Uh, and is, and but so currently so far you've written memoir-esque, like, non, like non-fiction. Yeah. I remember reading Becoming and it's like you've taken something so personal and so true about your life, but it didn't feel inaccessible for me from someone who's maybe not had similar experiences to you. Like, I wonder, is that tied up in being a storyteller and being able to take something true to you? But then I read that and it got me thinking about becoming in general as just a woman in their 20s. It's like, you've been able to take a personal story and then make it accessible for people going through so many different journeys in their life if that makes sense yeah I I, you know I I think truth is seductive and so and that's what I teach on my writing courses you know you tell your truth so that other people can access theirs Mm. you know I remember the first time I heard Adele's someone like you and laying on the floor of my university dorm room and hearing these words about you know never mind I'll find someone like you I wish nothing for the best for you you know like I miss you but my life will go on and it's like I didn't give a shit who broke Adele's heart and made Adele (laughs) feel that way but her telling her story I was able to think about the guy who had broken my heart and made Mm. me feel that way so um and I don't think it has to be blood and guts and dirty laundry on display with zero thought but a certain artistic telling of our truth I think is a gift that yeah let's let other people access their truth yeah and it really the question isn't ever to be like oh does everyone have that but it really does feel like writers have this wonderful way of sharing something personal and true to them but making it accessible to me because like for example with ice cream it was a much lighter subject but I remember reading it and I it just made me feel like 
stop taking it all so seriously. (laughs) It still hit deep just in a way that made me probably not like it was just a different type of emotion that I felt as re- I was reading it, but it both had the same effect in that it made me think and feel as a human being. Yeah, Ice Cream is a very different book. And it's interesting because they were written so closely together as well. I was actually talking to a friend about this today. Um, they were written, well, they were published nine months yeah. apart. So I think I, there was no way that I could have done something like Becoming again. It, the only way I could have written a second book so quickly was to do something totally and utterly different yeah I have no idea if this next question is wildly irritating for you as a writer but um, (laughs) go on (laughs) but I'm so I'm always so curious like how and I imagine does it look different depending on what you're creating but like what is your writing process like how do you get to the good stuff and I know it's so different for everyone but I know anyone I remember once listening to Cheryl Strade say that she's a binge writer and that she doesn't write every day and that just made me feel like Everything you've been told about what it means to be a writer doesn't have to be true if you don't want it to be. So I always like hearing different people's perspectives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, both of the books that I've done were, I call it like a project-based writer. Like I can't really be doing anything else. And there's something, it's almost like a self-flagellating, self-punishment. I don't know, getting into this hole of like being and washed and you don't work out and you just like sit and you do it and you get to it and you're in there and I mean both of my books to greater or lesser extent sent me a little bit mad uh, (laughs) writing them so I don't say this is the healthiest process but definitely for me when I'm in it I like to be in it you know Mm. go with a one-track mind style if if I'm gonna do it I want to focus on that one thing yeah no it's like I always People, I feel like people fall into two camps with big projects like this, either a marathoner or a sprinter. Yeah. So they they either do something over a long period of time or they just, they go deep into the rabbit hole because it's the only way to get to the good stuff. And if, like maybe your laundry doesn't get done for a few months because you just, you have to write this thing. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't do laundry for a few months, it's definitely going to be a commando experience. <laughs> um yeah, but I that that is just what works for me. I like to swim around in the world and the project. And I mean, that's the same, you know, even creating marketing materials. I've just launched a series of my own live events. It was the same when I launched the writing course, you know, creating the marketing materials for that. I do enjoy, I do really get off on just being in it. Mm. you know making and yeah making 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 yeah totally yeah do you ever have seasons then of like intense non-creating time like intense rest to balance it out yeah for sure and I think the more my career progresses and the more I learn about myself as a person the more I understand how critical that is again Mm. I was also saying to a friend with two books so close together it was funny in the middle of last year I was like I'm not going to publish a book in 2018 like (laughs) oh my god this is terrible this is a travesty everyone's going to think I'm dropping the ball I'm nothing I'm worthless and it's like that's not publishing three books in three years is is not a thing I should be worrying about like just breathe for a minute just breathe not (laughs) not creating yeah gives way to to creating yeah and um this is going to be a totally different track now something I have to tell you every week I am so excited for your red column to come out oh thank you oh it's wonderful your queer I want I was just like you've put into words how I feel about this tv show 
Quail is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And you know what's beautiful? Like my husband, like when I said like we're gonna watch this show, um, he was like, No. And my husband's like a feminist, like he but he was just like, No. And then we watched it and he's now like he's like telling people like, you have to watch this show, like it's amazing. <laughs> like it it connects with different people at different levels, I think, which is wonderful. But yes, you re- you wrote recently wrote one about Instagram. And mm-hmm. I have to tell you, it's like that article looked me in the face and made me really question some judgments I'd been making recently. Oh, go on. Anyone who's been listening to this for a long time knows that I have a very on-off relationship with social media. I'm quite, I'm just not, I'm an introvert. I just don't naturally spend a lot of time on there now and again I show up. But I think I've always kind of silently judged us in general as a human race of like, is it normal that we want to share so much of our lives on the internet? Mm. Are we all just big narcissists? And mm. I play around with this a lot and something I've been really honoring in my own life I've tried to is like I don't want my life to only feel real just because I can share it on the internet or I don't want to do things only because I can share it on the internet but I read your piece and I was like it was the first time I'd read someone really come out and say stop slagging off Instagram <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I titled it that like oh. when I sent it to my editor I think I was like I just want to talk about how people need to like stop slagging off Instagram and then she made it the the, the lead I'm like Oh, yeah, okay, fair, good. <laughs> well, what I liked about it, it was, it, you kind of said like multiple things within the piece. So the, the layer of, you know, why Instagram can be a great way to connect and share like the everyday moments of everyday life. But also that layer of when Instagram makes you feel like shit, that's on you, not on the person who created it. So I would love, I mean, I'm going to put it in the show notes for people to go and read the piece yet, yeah, but I would love to know your thoughts on Instagram, kind of maybe even the feedback you've got from that piece, if it's kind of become bigger in your mind since hearing other people's thoughts. And also maybe share a little bit more about your own approach to Instagram because you're probably like top three pe- favorite people to follow on there. Oh, who are the other two? I love Jamie Veron. I'm so glad that she's back on the internet. She is back, yeah. And she's amazing. I love I love Nicole Antoinette. I love, um, I've only just started following Ash Amberger at the Middle Finger Project on Instagram. I didn't realize how hilarious she was in there, but I think I love Nicole Antoinette. But Jamie Veron, on I'm I was like very excited that she's back on the internet she's yeah. she's amazing they're all friends of mine all three of those are friends of oh, mine that's, so that's beautiful to hear yeah oh great and you know Nicole and Jamie are like best friends yeah no because I'm a Patreon supporter I'm in Nicole's probably my favorite podcast ever I just and like Jamie's moved to Paris and my dream is to live in Paris we got married there last year um I just love Jamie she just tells she did this Instagram story the other day about how saving money like how money doesn't buy you happiness but Mm. she's never felt so secure as she has with having savings in the bank and it just spoke true to something that that I'm kind of sometimes I'm embarrassed of how much money brings me joy and sense of security oh yeah oh money is a feminist issue money is political I love making money me too. And I'm the breadwinner in my marriage. And I, me and Sarah talked about this actually in an episode that'll be coming up before yours and kind of how, I think it's mainly a British thing. I don't know how other cultures face this, but we live in a culture where it's very much, don't talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. like don't make your, I once have, I once had, I've had most, a lot, I have a lot of male friends and I love them, but I've had a couple of them, like I've had heated discussions with them about it in terms of, well, how can, how can feminism be necessary when you earn more than me? Or, oh, you like to talk about money <laughs> But then that just comes from the way that they've been nurtured that Mm -hmm. somehow men are supposed to be providers. And so if you existing, making money and being the breadwinner, like that's going to inherently that's a threat because then what's their job going to be? And we have to socialize little boys to be like, well, it's not your job to be a provider. It's okay. Yeah. And I think I'm also, you wrote this beautiful Instagram caption 
maybe a few weeks ago about the Me Too movement and how that affected your past relationship. I, I'm very lucky that I'm married to, he was, my husband was raised by like a very successful single mother and he mm-hmm. is just inherently a feminist and he just is inherently gets it all. And I think I sometimes don't realize what it must be like to be in a relationship where that's more of a struggle. Mm, I was desperate for like somebody to write about, you know, my boyfriend doesn't understand me too, or, you know, my husband won't call himself a feminist. Like, I'm sorry, I cannot be the only person in the world who found herself in a dynamic with a guy who just like wouldn't shift on it Mm. and everywhere I was hearing and it's beautiful and I'm so thrilled for you but I was hearing all this rhetoric of like my guy you know I got one of the good ones and it's like (laughs) guys there cannot be this many good ones like we're either not holding the ones closest to us to to the high standard we're holding everybody else Mm. or like there's something not entirely truthful about this because my experience of nearly all the men in my life is like they didn't fucking get it so what's going on no it's hard and I've noticed with my husband like even though he gets it and even though he is there is a layer where I have to push him on it Mm. like there's a layer of he won't understand he understands and he respects it but he can't fully feel why I won't let the workman into the flat unless he's here too if you know what I mean, like there's certain, like he gets it, but he doesn't, he, well, can a man feel what it feels like to be a woman in the world? Can they, can they only empathize? Do you know, I remember my dad telling a story about um, being in the, in the spa area at the leisure center. And he said a woman got in and he said she was a bodybuilder. So he's in this jacuzzi next to this female bodybuilder. And he said to me, you know, it was quite intimidating. Mm. He said, she was a big woman. And I said, and that's what it's like to be female all the time. Everybody is bigger than Mm. you. And he had this real moment of like, oh, like, oh, yeah. I had this conversation actually with a few clients during the time of just, I didn't realize how triggered I was in that period of the time I actually had to take a step back Mm. and be like oh I need to do some like self-care here because that was it was very hard and I know it was hard Mm. for people but it is I you wrote that comment and I was like I wonder how many of the relationships went through that during that time Mm. and are still going through that because you're right I think we want to talk about how wonderful our husbands are no or boyfriends or partners no one wants to come out and say yeah he laughed at a rape joke on tv no one wants to say that yeah yeah and I mean I was so triggered by me too. I think females full stop were mm. because finally it was this collective exhale of my experience is valid. Mm. Like I don't have to hide this anymore. I don't have to pretend that something is okay when it fucking wasn't. Mm. But yeah, I was dying inside not being able to talk. You know, I talk so freely online about everything else, but not being able to say even kind of to myself I'm dating a guy who doesn't get it and it's breaking my heart. Mm-hmm. It, that was hard. And and yeah, I, I took a bit of a break from, from social because I couldn't tell the whole truth. Mm. It was really the first, that was the first time back in, that was a, back in February, I think, where I said, what are we going to do? Because we have to live alongside these men and the men I know, most of them don't understand and, and my relationship suffered. Mm. And, you know, I'm not in that relationship anymore and that is a huge, huge part of it. But I'm not saying everybody needs to break up with the mm. men that don't get it. Uh, but for me, I, I could not move 
forward on that. My life is for women. My work is for women. Everything I do is about the advancement and empowerment Mm. of women. I couldn't be with a man who didn't understand why that was important yeah and it's you can feel that in everything you do and you said something really interesting just a minute ago about how for a time you you couldn't tell the whole truth of the situation I don't know about you like that because I write like a lot of content for like my emails and my blog posts mm-hmm. and stuff like that when there's a situation where I'm not at peace with something yet so I can't tell the whole truth that is like the most painful thing for me as like a creative human who likes to tell stories about my life because I don't want to lie but I feel blocked is it like that for you do you know what I I actually I can look back on a couple of things now and go oh I I was trying to come at the truth sideways Mm. like I knew for example I knew that relationship was over you know weeks before it actually ended and then even longer before I told people it had ended you know respect for him but I look back now to to work and things that I created in that time and I'm like oh it's all here it's all here that I was unhappy and wanted out of it and, you know, felt very like like I was sacrificing myself. It's all there. You know, there's the odd tiny letter. There's part of an idea that I had for for a longer story. It's all all there, mm. which I think is, is quite interesting. And now I'm like, oh, I just get to approach the truth head on. What a relief. <laughs> but I was desperate. I can see that now. I was desperate for for the truth to out because it's actually free yeah it does it's, it's like one of those cliche it's I actually it's been so I don't know it's been just it, this sounds like I don't mean this in like any sycophantic way so just bear with me I'm, I'm very like overly sensitive person but like it has it feels like I'm like a little bit of an honor to just this you share so much truth about your life to a level that people don't share so you you shared this relationship in like such a like when you started this relationship, I remember you shared it and it was after reading Becoming and kind of going, you know, reading your blog and going by no actual relationship with you, just a relationship with your content, going on that journey with you, seeing you start this relationship and be so happy and then you be so honest about the end of it. And then you that beautiful Instagram you did of when your brother sent you flowers because you want to celebrate your own life choices. And it's just so, because it's a story that we just you know, I have this conversation with my friends all the time. You never get more likes on Instagram than when you get engaged, when you get married or you have a baby. Right, right. Do you know what? I was looking actually the other day about what has like done well recently. And I think my highest engagement is me dancing around my room in my underwear (laughs) to Whitney Houston, me getting a new bed from West Elm, uh, the flowers that my brother sent me to like celebrate these choices and getting the red column or like all up there as top and I was like fuck yeah my audience are awesome yeah Yeah." it's like you've held space for people to say yeah I I," it's like you found the people who are like yeah these are the things to celebrate oh my audience are amazing they are self-selectingly amazing and I think that comes from that I'm like I I'm here <laughs> if you like it great let's boogie and if you don't I aren't bothered because I'm not here to please you and people are like oh fine I'll leave or oh amazing I want to join the party like my audience are phenomenal yeah you have this wonderful way of wanting to make people live more true to themselves just be, and, I, and it's, it's so funny I, I remember when you wrote for about why you became a that like you wrote this wonderful piece for the financial diet years ago about how when you back then when you published your first book but then you became a nanny because people have this idea writers are like rolling in money but it's like that's just not the reality and I was like no one writes about it 
<laughs> yeah and it, but it, it's hard like I try and broach that especially in I do one a little bit of one-on-one writing coaching and the number of people that are like I want to do the book and there's a book in me and like steering them to think about other ways that they can tell that story because book publishing there's very little money in it if you consider what you have to do to get Mm -hmm. that money so you know hardly anybody in British publishing now gets into those like six figures Mm -hmm. but for example like Cheryl Strayed went on record and said that she got like a hundred grand for wild yeah and she was in 80 grand's debt wasn't she when she well she was in all of that debt but even from say a hundred grand you know you pay your agent 15 to 20 percent depending on what rights you sell Mm. so what she's left with 80 and then after tax Mm. so if we do rule of thirds from 80 grand that's what a third a third tax Mm. so 26 20 very good maths Jen well done (laughs) so that leaves like what 54 so that leaves 54 grand that she's going to get in four installments Mm. once when you sign it when you sign the contract then when you deliver your first draft and that can be like six months Mm. that can be a year that can be 18 months then it's when it's published in hardback So that can be another year, 18 months, and then in paperback, and that's another year. So really, she was looking at 50 grand over anything between two to four years. Yeah, and if you think of that in dollars, that's like, what, 35 grand? That's So it's 35,000 pounds, yeah. It's not a living wage over that amount of time. Over that amount of time, it's not. And so... Yeah, certainly it it's very interesting. And, you know, my agent always says you can't get into publishing to make money. But as we've just said, like, you love money. I fucking love money. I have got no interest in living a half life so that I can be, like, artistically fulfilled when actually creative entrepreneurship appeals because I can go direct to my audience and give them what they want without, you know, for example, and this is Shell Strayed on $100,000. What did we work out? That's like £35,000 after she's, you know, paid the taxman over four years. Mm. Um, Like that is, to me, it's a no brainer. Just to think about making your money another way. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's it's also the other thing of like, okay, say you get a book deal. All the time that is going to go to not just writing the book, but promoting the book. If that's taking you away from your other work, say you're a freelancer as well. There's actually an economical conversation to have Um, with yourself there. To have with everybody involved because, you know, even down to, you know, like events. Or, you know, literary mm. festivals don't pay. They hardly pay anybody. And if they do pay you, it, you know, it, it's pennies. So, sure, it might look amazing that you're doing Hay and Cheltenham and the Oxford Literary Festival. But that is, you know, a weekend out of your schedule. You're not being paid for it, you know. And so what? You have to sell books off the back of that that will go to earning out your advance so even that money that Cheryl Strayed made, she has to sell mm. so many books in order to pay that back. And then she gets like 7% royalty. 
on it. Like, there's no money in it. <laughs> did you read the post recently that Ellen Pump, the interview Ellen Pompeo did for Hollywood Reporter about how she became like $20 million TV? Did woman? I read it? I, <laughs> I mean, good for her. Make that money. Because the men behind yeah. the scenes are, I bet Patrick Dempsey was. You're like, Patrick Dempsey was paid more than her. And it's yeah, called know. Grey's I, I, Anatomy and she plays Meredith Grey. Like, what the hell? I could, did you just hear the thing? I, this is the bit where I'm like, right, hold my beer. Hold on. Did you hear <laughs> that they paid Matt Smith more than Clive Boy in the yes. crowd? She was the fucking crowd. Queen, she was the queen. Yeah, and all because, here's what the bit mean. I, it made sense because it makes sense and it doesn't make sense. They're like, oh, he gets paid more because of something he's done on a different TV show. Like, he, th- their justification was, oh, he was Doctor Who. And it's like, okay, but he's not Doctor Who in the crown. It's, it was very, it's like, he's not, they're not actually being paid for the what they're bringing to the role. So it, but it's not even a case of Matt Smith doesn't deserve that paycheck. He did come to it <laughs> with um, all of that experience and that background. Did I tune in because I think he's a hot piece of ass? You bet you're a <laughs> I tuned in for Matt Smith. I did not know who Claire Foy was, but... Um, there needs to be more transparency between their agents and with, you know, with the producers of that show that um, she should match that. Yeah. And did you hear that Olivia, Olivia Coleman's getting paid more in the next one? And they were like, well, it's okay. Olivia Coleman's getting paid more. But I'm like, yeah, but Claire Foy still didn't. But the, I mean, good for Olivia Coleman. She's amazing. Olivia Coleman, it's more just the. But it's like, yeah, it's, but the, it's not saying, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, Patrick, it's not that Patrick Dempsey didn't deserve it or that Matt Smith didn't deserve yeah, it. It's yeah. that the women that they star with deserve to have it matched. Yeah. And she carries, I mean, I am a great Anatomy obsessive. I think I've watched the show all the way through at least 10 times. Very good. Um, it's a great, I, I, when I had my, when I had my first mental health breakdown, I think I spent three months in bed just watching Grey's Anatomy. So I can say with a complete straight face that Grey's Anatomy saved my life. I love it very much. But the, what I loved about that article was when she said that she thinks of herself more as a businesswoman than an artist and how she made a very clear distinction that she could have left Grey's and gone to become, you know, tried to get different roles but she made a decision to stay and she made a decision to get power and I thought that was so interesting it's not right or wrong it's not but I just thought that was the first time I'd seen a woman who's a visual like an artist publicly in that way you know an actress come out and say that and I thought that's a very interesting way to think about our careers because the art's great but the bills have got to get paid and financial independence is our number one way to have power over our own lives Mm-hmm. And I make better art when I'm not worrying about, you know, the fact that I overspent at Sainsbury's that week. <laughs> yes, yes. So if I'm if I'm worrying, I'm not even going to be doing great stuff anyway. Yeah, this I you did write recently an Instagram caption that you've only recently started thinking about yourself as an entrepreneur, and I was like, oh, I really would love to pick a brain about this because I thought that was so interesting. Will you talk about just what did you mean by that? That you've only just recently started thinking yourself as an entrepreneur, and I guess I'm curious, how does that feel to blend writer author with entrepreneur now? I guess for me, it was always about getting my name on the spine of a book. And I had that naivety of when that happens, then that is what you do for the rest of your career. And then it very quickly was apparent to me 
that even though we negotiated very healthy compensation for that book and I was incredibly honored for the opportunity and nobody knew who I was um, when my first book came along and I was very honored to be asked by my publisher to write the second one I guess I hadn't connected all the dots that like oh you don't just get to write books now so that was a wake-up mm-hmm. call and then I was writing books and I had the column in Grazia still not enough money and you know I have never been proud to get the bills paid you know I had four jobs that put me through university I taught English as a foreign language for years I worked in PR that was the first time that our paths crossed when I had a PR job and Mm. you had a beauty blog you know all those years ago (laughs) I've always done what needed to be done and then I think when I started to teach a little bit in real life, that felt really good that I wasn't asking for permission at somebody else's table. I kind of, without realizing, had started to build my own table and my audience were happy to directly pay for my services. And that was like, well, shit, okay. And then I think leveraging that for ages, for maybe like eight months, I would get messages every day saying, please put your like writing courses online. Please, like, how can we access this? Like, I live in New York or I live in Chicago or I live in Switzerland or, you know, I want to learn from you as well. And I was getting great feedback from the in real life teaching classes and I'm an experienced teacher and, and I love doing it. And out of absolute necessity, actually, last year... I was like, I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. And somehow I was like, okay, I'm going to try putting it online. And then I put a writing course online and it sold out. And it was just like this direct to consumer. I just did it. Like within the space of a week, just set up how it would work and how I would record these videos and a mail system where I could get them to people and I massively undercharged and I sold out and loved doing it. it was hard um but I loved that like empowerment of god I'm in absolute total control here and then I think by last October when I ran the course again I really felt like I had hit my groove and then we talked about a third book and it didn't make sense to me that Um, I could have all of this autonomy and all of this, yeah, autonomy, really, for good money that came directly to me versus how publishing works. And I just kind of had to step away and be like, I'm not, this doesn't work for me. I need to figure out what does. And then as I stepped into the new year and I had this breakup and I was not very well over New Year, so I kind of came to my desk a week later than it felt like the rest of the world did. So it was really like chomping at the bit to Mm. get back into work. And it just kind of all revealed itself to me. I have this beautiful audience who tell me what they want, and it's just about being intuitive and not taking the piss and suddenly going, well, gosh, yeah, with these income streams, it does make me entrepreneurial because... I don't just sit around thinking how good it would be to teach or run a course or run an event. 
because of my work experience in my 20s, I've got the skills to do that. And I'm enormously, I mean, I am enormously proud of that. And then I think once you start building your own table, it's like this addiction of, well, fuck it. Anybody else who wants to offer me a seat at their table, they've got to at least match what Mm. I could do on my own. Yeah. I think you just hit the nail on the head why I am so passionate and I just love these, like, building your own platform and building your own business because there's no gatekeepers. The only gatekeeper is, can you connect with an audience? If you can do that, if you can connect with a community and help them with something or support them with something, you can build for yourself not only a business that has incredible impact, but also a life that serves you and you can build financial stability. Yeah, it's interesting what you say because immediately, as you as you said about, you know, the, you know, there are no gatekeepers if you do build your own table. I think I have like comparison gatekeepers where maybe sometimes I feel like I don't get the acknowledgement from traditional press that other people who exist in a similar sphere do but then yeah I would be interested to know for example who who does make more money because I know I know firsthand also that you know what you see on the gram from these flashy career gals yeah but how much is actually like if it's freebie after freebie and trip after trip and that isn't gonna make a a, that isn't career longevity you know Mm, yeah and it's also like you said building your own table you are in control of it if tomorrow if for some reason publishers never wanted to work with you again yeah which isn't gonna happen you can pay the bills yeah and it's what's been really interesting to see from the outside is you building this you know platform as someone who teaches for your course and your coaching it doesn't diminish who you are as an author either it's like you've balanced the two so wonderfully I know for some people it's hard to kind of have dual identities in that way but for you it's more that your business actually just it comes from your writing and it just it all just flows very nicely when I has that been intentional from you or has it naturally happened that way um I suppose I'm always keen or have historically been keen at you know, me being a writer, being the the central pillar of identity, and then realizing to an extent how powerless that started to feel. God, this is like therapy. I'm connecting <laughs> a lot of dots now. So I think I was desperate to identify as a writer and actually realized that within the food chain, that placed me not as high as I would like. And in a lot of ways was quite disempowering, Um, even down to, say, in a magazine column and, you know, a certain change the punctuation in my sentence. You change the meaning of my sentence. Mm. Yeah, actually identifying as a writer was was disempowering in a lot of ways. And so changing the way that I think about myself. Yeah. And I suppose so starting to think of myself more entrepreneurial I tell you, I'm very fascinated by Chelsea Fagan's career, The Financial Diet, who, of course, was a writer most known for Thought Catalog for years and years and years, and then set up her own media company, basically, and has done very well. Chelsea's a friend of mine, so I've had FaceTime with her where she's been incredibly honest about like the sacrifices that that takes, but also the benefits of not having her 
face as the central tenant to making money. She's, she doesn't make money as Chelsea Fagan. She, she makes money as the CEO of a business. I suppose that's the direction that I want to move in. My blog for, for years has been called Superlatively Rude. So instead of making money as Laura Jane Williams, I think ultimately it's more empowering for me to make a living as CEO of Superlatively Rude. Oh, that that so that makes sense with the why you called superlatively rude live. Yeah, so there's the superlatively rude blog, there's superlatively rude live, and so we launched the big unconference. But there'll be several several smaller events. So you know, superlatively rude live conversations with authors, and I guess books can come into that that I can still publish as Laura Jane Williams but it's certainly not the cornerstone of my self-identity anymore yeah you've got some power like like it's like <laughs> I know it's wildly different to Ellen Pompeo but it's the very heart of it in that she she looked at this industry where she could have just been at the whim of executives exactly. and producers and studios and she got herself some power and you've you have an empire that no one can take away from you. The only way it goes away is if you walk away from it. Well, it's very kind to say, very nice to hear, because obviously, you know, week on week and month on month, you're like, fuck, is this a <laughs> live? Is this like the last thing that I'm ever going to do? Oh my God, like the one-on-one coaching. Well, I, oh, you know, it, it, there's a lot and I'm just really trying to exercise gratitude you know like last night I was up until two o'clock in the morning marking homework for the course and I was like over my dead body will I be on Instagram stories being like well it's me it's half past two and (laughs) no I am in my fancy free bed that I got sent from West Elm in my fancy lovely warm home working sending emails to people that have shared their work with me and paid money to do that like this is the best life in existence let's just practice gratitude and take it step by step like I'm terrified but let's practice gratitude and take it step by step for sure yeah being in charge of your own business whatever is I think it is is one of the scariest things it's just so much responsibility you've got clients to take care of students you've got taxes to pay (laughs) oh taxes I yeah 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 taxes um I suppose that that is where I'm at now is actually my aspiration is to think of myself as a business owner Mm. and cultivate that business which feels a lot more empowering than a freelancer or self-employed it's it's I want what I want is my own business yeah I'm so excited to see it unfold because so a lot of people, when they get to that stage, they don't, you already have all the foundations, like it's there, it exists. I think there's this big journey that everyone goes on when they find a home in their role as a business owner and everyone does it a bit differently. And I think that, you know, I, this is my fourth year now of doing this. Well done. And thank you. And it's like, I'm, and I'm now I'm at a place where I know who I am. You know, I know how to deal with certain things that come up, but it's two years ago, I wasn't it's 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 being my own boss and running this business has been one of the most empowering experiences of my life because I am in control of everything but I'm excited for you because I mean it's so funny from the outside you your writing career I can be like oh my god like I could never even and it's really funny I I really want to come home to like other sides of my writing that I've ignored for a long time Mm -hmm. out of fear but I have no aspirations I know a great writing course 
I know. I was like, I, I was like, I need to. Well, I messaged you. I was like, when I'm in the right headspace, I'm gonna. If you still got availability, I want to work with you. And but it's really funny. I have no aspirations to be published. Not in a weird way. Mm. Just in like, a, I make good money doing what I do, and that doesn't feel to me like I don't want to write a book and then be like, oh, let me pitch it. I'm more just like, I just want to write something that I, I want to fulfill a dream that I've had mm. of getting something out of my head and making something I'm proud of and then maybe I'll give it to my email list for free and see if they like it and then hopefully you know different things like that so mm. yes I, it's it's just very I'm excited for you and I'm, I'm and I love how open I'm it's like I already know that you're going to take everyone on this journey with you in whatever way you're comfortable with through your social channels because you share everything so wonderfully well I again I think that is we can't underestimate how much a woman sharing her story is again a political act you know for me to say what I have to say is worthwhile is a political act for me to say I think other women could benefit from my story like I benefit from the stories of other women is a political act so you know I suppose this conversation started off more like oh babe that you know wonderful thanks yeah we're just write stories and what make people happy and, and <laughs> you know that but the heart of it is no it's fucking it's important this is how the world will change. Yeah, no, I could not agree with you more. And I think just saying it is part of that. Not hiding, not being like, oh, I just, I have my little business and I make my little money. And it's just saying like, no, like this, this is me taking up the space and I'm going to put the ladder back down and help anyone else I can along the way too. 200%, yeah. There's room for all of us. A rising tide lifts all boats. I am not interested in doing this on my own. And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I'd had to do it on my own, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants. And so, yeah, of course I'll give somebody a leg up, of course. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to touch on together today is kind of, you said something wonderfully in the Instagram caption the other day about doing the work of building a life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's what Laura does. She, she is doing that out loud. That is what I'm taking from the content you share is I am seeing a woman and it does feel like a political act of just sharing, like, I am doing my, you're doing your life and you're sharing the truth of it and you're sharing the choices you're making. And by doing that, you're actually holding space for other women to be okay with the choices they're making and to ask themselves questions. And it never feels like you're living your life on autopilot or for the sake of it. It feels like you are building a life intention. <laughs> you know, to my detriment sometimes. <laughs> Would that I could just get up in the morning and go through the motions without being like, but how do these motions make me feel? Am I satisfied <laughs> with these motions? Perhaps I could adjust the motions to fully maximize my human experience. I'm like a fucking robot built for maximum life engagement. Yeah, it's so funny. My husband always tells me, he's like, Jen, you don't have a middle ground. You either feel extreme joy. I mean, this is probably rooted in my mental health problems, but I either feel extreme joy or extreme like lows. It's And I'm, I'm constantly questioning my life at all times. Like I, my biggest fear, I think, is actually to live my life on autopilot. But I think like, it's funny that you kind of like giggle and, and what, as you say, mental health problems there. It's like, well, that's how you're wired and that's your gift to the world. And lukewarm is no good. Yeah, no. No, I mean, I, it's funny. I once had a client, she asked me, she was like, are you grateful for your breakdown? And I, and I was like, I wouldn't relive those, that time of my life ever again. 
but I, I don't know if I would be who I am now without the trauma and the experiences that I've lived through. Mm. I don't know if that at 25, I would be able to hold the space I'm able to hold for people. Not that, I mean, I've got so much more I want to grow in my coaching craft, but I think be, experiencing things of my own means I can sit in the discomfort of other people's pain. Mm. And, and I'm very grateful for that. So I think, I think there's a level of also like just being like, yeah, this, this is my truth. But I think that's what I feel like you do. You share the work of what it means to build a life. And I feel like even though I talk a lot about building a business and building a life alongside it, I feel like ultimately choosing to build the life you want to live is a very empowering and brave thing to do. Will you talk a little bit about what building a life, what you've learned about that so far? I mean, you've survived your 20s, you're now in your 30s. Uh So I guess I wonder it looks different that side. And so what you've learned about building a life, what that looks like for you right now, and also any encouragement you've got for someone listening who, I mean, we're all doing the work of building a life, but if they're currently feeling like they are doing it on autopilot or like they just don't know how to march forward in the way that they want to. Mm. I suppose for me, the, the crux of it is finding the joy in all of it. So I cannot control that I have got to put the bins out every Sunday evening. That is a thing that needs to be done. And if it's raining, if something is split and it falls on the floor like all of that I still have to do it so it's like well I can either do it in my socks that get soggy because I go out on the wet pavement (laughs) and nothing is organized outside so then I'm stood there longer than what I need to be and it's cold and I don't know the door shuts behind me and it's all just miserable or it's like well I have to put the bins out so why don't I put on the nice proper waterproof based slippers and my coat and like the radio is on and so when the bag splits on the kitchen floor yeah it's not the best case scenario but at least like I've already got the lights on and the music's playing and so you sort that out and you know it's a very basic example but finding the joy in even like the shitty stuff that you don't want to do Because life is like 90% shitty stuff that you don't want to do. So you may as well enjoy it. And I think when you start to find the joy, joy attracts joy, like attracts like. And then it becomes easier to identify what, what naturally gives you joy, what is worth the effort for you. You know, I don't always want to go to yoga, but it is worth the effort for me to go because of the joy that it ultimately brings me. Mm. So for me, building a life is about accessing joy. And I think, yeah, joy builds contentedness. And when you're content, you suddenly have a very low threshold for bullshit. Like, no, I work too hard to make this a nice experience. This thing or this person doesn't get to come in and alter that. Mm. And I have a really low threshold for things or people messing with my vibe man Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because you know to go back to like for example publishing the next deal is going to have to be a very special deal for me because I've established joy elsewhere that is like well it's not what that payoff's not worth it to me so it does make me stronger and more in tune with what I want to spend spend my days on Mm. Yeah, it's like you, you've taken, like you're in, you're in the drive, it's such a cliche, it's like you're in the driving seat and nothing's coming in unless you say it's coming in. Yeah, 
but that's that's done with, I mean it's like Danielle Laporte says I suppose you know wide open heart and big fucking fence mm-hmm. and you know we talk again we talk about that in yoga a lot is like being grounded whilst also you know reaching up it's the exhilaration of of opposites it's yeah you don't get to come in unless you're you're good for me while still being open enough to be like I want it all to come in amazing and you know the work is never done every single day literally was it yesterday two days ago I was talking about how I randomly like burst into tears at home by myself and I guess my little brain had been like not happy with something and and suddenly out of nowhere it hit me the truth of something hit me and I was like fuck and it was so shocking to me that I cried I was able to to make a call address the issue and yeah I was bruised for a bit but ultimately now today you know I'm talking about it in a in a very strong way but I didn't feel strong when I was feeling those things Mm, yeah it's living it sounds like building is like living and choosing the joy but also choosing to decide what happened like how you respond to your life and feeling the feelings you have to feel I'm in charge I'm in charge and I think the best way anyone listening if they want to see what that means is to actually just go and follow along with you because you just naturally (laughs) okay I'm finishing every episode this season with four quick five questions are you ready Yes. Okay, what's the best book you've read recently? Uh, Homecoming, and I can't pronounce the name of the author, <laughs> and that is unforgivable, but it is a beautiful story. Home, homegoing. It's on my bookshelf to read. Okay, if you could have a coffee date with one of your creative heroes or inspirations that are alive, who would it be? I wouldn't. <laughs> because every time I've met somebody that I've idolised, I've been disappointed because humans are just humans I love that no one's answered that question with that yet. <laughs> that is that is what the yeah that is what I have learned there are some people who I'm like hey that is my peer mm. and I want to know about them but if I idolize somebody I have zero interest in meeting them like I idolize my yoga teacher and I do not want to talk to him outside of that room do you know what I mean like I just do not want the fallacy to be broken I'm fine I am fine with that you know what I'm gonna flip the question if who is someone's work who you're loving right now who you would like to meet and just like pick like talk to them about their work that you're loving I don't know because it is like my I do keep my finger on the pulse of like what my contemporaries are doing so like I do follow Chelsea Fagan's career with vested interest but she is a friend of mine I am totally interested in what Dolly Alderton is doing and I think the way that her her book was marketed was basically flawless yeah, yeah. but again like I had dinner with her the other week and so I get to ask these these things mm. at the table. I'm, I'm very fortunate I follow the career of Ella Saron at Teen Vogue yeah. who I think is really smart and interesting so yeah I mean I guess I I did just watch The Bold Type on oh. Amazon and the executive producer of that is digital content director at Hearst Media, Joanna Coles. And somebody just reached out to me and said, would I like to read her new book? And I kind of hadn't connected the dots that the executive producer of The Bold Type was also 
at Hearst Media in New York and had written this book on dating. And when I did, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, what a fascinating woman to be so high powered and have executive produced this show that I thought was the absolute tits. It's brilliant. Mm. It's like a woke gossip girl. And then she's written about love. So every time she pops up on my social, I, I watch it and I'm interested. And I think that speaks to her being older than me. Yeah. Mm. What's really cool, actually, is um, you get so much done. Like you you do, you create. And it's really interesting that you, I wonder if not idolizing people plays a part in you just look, do you know what I mean? Like the fact that you're not like, oh, like you're not coming out with these people. I wonder if that's, if that says something about your own, the own energy that you bring to your work is that you see you're interested in people's work, but you don't put them on pedestals because you just, you know, that we're all humans who end up having to go to the toilet throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the work gets done when you do the work. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, maybe especially on the, in real life writing courses, you can see that people want you to tell them the magic trick and you have to deliver the information of like, well, you know, if you do want to publish a book, you've got to write a book. And it's like, oh, you mean there's not somebody from like Penguin Random House waiting outside when I see <laughs> who's just gonna like make this happen? Yeah, it's yeah. No, okay. If in another life, what's a job completely different to what you do now that you think you would have been awesome at? Beautician or hairdresser? <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, I think that I would have done something aesthetic, maybe, and like been the best. So been like a celebrity facialist or a celebrity botana or um, like the person that develops, you know, the science behind like Lemur. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, if everyone listening could go and do one thing next to connect with you and the awesome work you do, where should they go? Instagram. Yeah. Um, I am at superlatively LJ. Awesome. Well, it'd be in the show notes. Laura, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. Of course. Thank you so much. And there we have it, today's episode. If you'd like to find out more about Laura and the awesome work she's doing in the world, head over to makeithappenpodcast.com where you can dive into this episode's show notes and all past episodes too. And if you'd like more from me, head over to jencarrington.com where you can explore all of the content that I create for big-hearted creatives just like you. More than anything, thank you so much for listening along today and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day ahead. Keep on doing the awesome work that you're doing in the world and I'll be rooting for you always.